Welcome to New Oral Cultures. I'm Dario Linares. It's good to be back with you. We've uh, been on a bit of a hiatus uh, with the podcast, what with one thing or another, to put it mildly. Um, but we're very excited to return, actually, for the first time, with a full series of shows. And this series has been written, produced and presented in its entirety by a PhD student down at Falmouth University, Jerry Padfield. And Jerry is here to give us an overview of the series. So, Jerry, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks, Dario. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks. No problem at all. And um, thanks to you for uh, allowing us to put your podcast out on this network. I mean, it was always our intention to, you know, invite... um, producers doing their own stuff if they if they wanted if they didn't have a a feed of their own that they that they had uh, created that they could you know obviously broadcast if that's the right word through our network so it's good that you you're the first one to do that but you're you're down in Cornwall aren't you you're based down at, at Falmouth in Cornwall how are things down there with the the current situation that's right yeah well actually they're not too bad um, there was a worry that um in Cornwall that lots of people would kind of hurry down here from the big cities you know, as a kind of way of spending the lockdown mm. um, and spreading coronavirus. But actually, that's not really happened as far as I can tell. So uh, we don't have that many cases, although, you know, obviously we still have a few which are all tragic. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think that there was there was this worry, certainly with the people I know from down in Cornwall, about the NHS being overrun down there and, you know, the, the Londoners like myself. I mean, I haven't got a holiday home down in Cornwall, but I know a lot of people from London have and you know, people taking the opportunity to just go and sequester themselves down in Cornwall and maybe overrunning services down there. But like you say, I don't think that's happened. And now maybe it's kind of reversed and Cornwall maybe is looking at quite a big hit when it comes to the yeah. uh, the money that you would get from the tourist trade in the summer. I think there's a, a well, two worries there. Firstly, economically, you know, Cornwall relies on the summer for the visitors and the money and that probably won't be as big as it usually is and then there's also the worry that you know this second wave or when the lockdown is uh, relaxed that people will start coming down here and and we'll get the we'll kind of catch up with the rest of the country so it is a concern definitely yeah of course and I think that it's an interesting question isn't it whether kind of rural areas that probably don't have that many cases should open up and get back to normal sort of sooner than 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 say London I think there's probably a case for that but it's going to be it's I suppose it's quite difficult politically to sell um you know different parts of the country are going to have different um responses or different times of opening I suppose is the word yeah well as you're probably aware having spent some time in Cornwall there is a whole can of worms there with the the Cornish national identity and things like that as well which uh probably best not to get into in this conversation (laughs) yeah maybe not um but it's uh, it's great that you've um, now. Have you come to the end of your PhD, or you just have you nearly finished, or have you finished? I can't remember asking you that before. I'm sorry. That's all right. I'm halfway through. Actually, I've right. just got through the, what we call in Falmouth the confirmation of route, or as known in other places as a PhD upgrade or a candidature exam or something like that. Great. So congratulations on that. So this Thanks. this series of podcasts is an archive or a. Um, a kind of running commentary, a running analysis, almost auto-ethnographic of your PhD in process, but also it uses, to use your words, it sort of tries to deploy, or it does deploy, um, podcasting as a PhD tool of 
research or almost a, a methodological approach or working through the idea of podcasting as a as a methodology. So maybe you could start by giving us a, a sort of overview of your PhD as a project and where podcasting fits in that. Well, my my uh, PhD research is about actually it's about community radio and right. radio is a related discipline, but obviously not the same. Um, but attached to that as well is the, the crossover points with podcasting that we're all aware of, you know, they're um, very closely related disciplines and practices. Mm. And f so for me, it made sense to record my reflections in an audio format. And uh, the podcasting is the, the best way for me that, that I could see to do that. I mean, it doesn't work as a radio show, you know, it's exactly fitted to a podcast in that it is the real niche subject. It's the long tail subject where, you know, we're talking about probably 100 people in the world who are who are possibly interested in this thing or maybe hundreds, I don't know. But, you know, we're not talking about a, a, a format which is going to work well on a community radio station because, you know, there's probably even a, not even a dozen people in, in the town that I live in that would be super interested in this uh, subject. So it fits podcasting, you know, um, to a T, basically. It's that hyper niche subject. It's kind of like a confessional thing of a PhD student, but also the idea is it's, it's reflection in itself. And I think it actually um, changed and developed as most podcasts do in their initial stages. So initially I thought of it as just a kind of way of just getting this stuff off my chest. And then I thought I'd um, <clears throat> it might be quite interesting to talk to some practitioners to put into the podcast because, you know, doing a solo podcast is quite difficult to fill the time and also make it entertaining. Mm. And then actually these conversations that I started having with people started um, changing my PhD and changing the way I was thinking about the research and becoming an actual research tool in itself. Right. Uh, and that's when it got really interesting for me. And, um, you know, when I started, you know, I already thought of put this as a research tool, but it, the, the kind of the usefulness of it and the way that these conversations, you know, I, I thought that I'd be working out what was going on in my research through the kind of solo dialogue monologue aspect but actually what was happening was the conversations with people what was going on in my brain was kind of uh coming out in the in the in the conversation that i was having with people and then the discussion was kind of feeding back into that and the new knowledge you know every every conversation led to some new knowledge which was then altering the way that my research was going so this is for me this is one of the best uh research tools that i've had you know and i think this is especially why it's uh, exciting for me to be a part of neural culture is this emerging idea of the podcast as an academic tool uh, you know and your disrupted media um, article in the journal of um, alternative and community media you know is one of the first examples of this as a and I think this is what the future um, where the future lies is that um, we've got to start using podcast these other media and podcasting as one of those obviously to do research as a way of putting research out there as a way of not just um distributing it but also it is a research tool yeah, it is like research. producing it and creating it yeah exactly it's not it is practice but it's also research and we can't run away from that we should be you know embracing it yeah i think that's uh, one of the things that has definitely sort of drawn me to this this field in terms of trying to get my head around what actually happens when you are going through the podcasting process and that that process has different parts to it you know there's there's obviously the kind of the research and the setting up that that you have to bring to the subject and but then when you're particularly if you're having conversations you know and interviews 
as part of your podcast. Now that the interview is a obviously a, a research methodology in and of itself, but what does the podcast, the idea that this is going to be broadcast, the interview itself, how does that feed into the development and then the shaping of knowledge? Because I think there, there are definitely, um, there's definitely an, a, a need to kind of discuss and pick that apart because it's something that I've, I've sort of been trying to think about quite a lot in terms of this idea of, of you know, knowledge being produced or, um, you know, the development of research through the conversation and having that dialectic and what, what influenced that actually, or how that underpins what you are producing rather than um, you're asking a question of the other person who provides you with the knowledge. It's, a, it's an interesting way of thinking about that. It is, and I think it's an emerging thing and it's, a, it's something that the answers aren't there yet and I think it's, a, you know, things that people are doing, lots of academics are doing at the moment will reveal these things. And, you know, a lot of the conversations I'm having in the in the podcast talk about these things. And I'm thinking of um, the conversation I had with Dr. Sherizade Garcia-Ranghel, who, who uh, creates On The Hill podcast. And so there is this very obvious research in that you go away and you research the subject that you're talking about in the podcast. Mm. But then also she talks about the actual practice of putting the thing together, of recording the actors, of, you know, writing the story, of then recording her own uh, narration. That's all research in itself. And the, the way you think about the subject and insights into the subject happen through these processes, as yeah. well as just the kind of reading of dry texts and, and synthesizing those into something new. You know, it's, it's, it is a process that needs to be explored, I think, in more in greater detail. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's the, that's definitely the case. And did you, I mean, it, it, it's interesting, you know, working with students who do PhDs in the kind of classical, I suppose, you know, the word I'm looking for, in terms of just mm. a written PhD that's using traditional methodologies. But obviously, this is a PhD by practice. Have you found any particular issues or what's you know just what's that been like in terms of trying to sort of mold a piece of research around practice for you yeah i have uh, <laughs> i can't deny it i and in fact as i said i just went through my uh, sort of phd upgrade process and one of the things that was you know that the panel were interviewing me about was like where's the knowledge in the practice you know identify that more clearly mm. and i think that is something that is and that is it can be difficult to define. I think the way that I'm kind of addressing it is to go about the the Robin Nelson practice research me uh, method, which is to, you know, they're, they're kind of three no types of knowledge. And one of those types of knowledge is the reflect reflection on yeah. the practice. And that's where I think podcasting comes into its own because it's, you know, writing is great and um, it's one way of doing it, but audio is another way. And speech and... Uh, text they're different parts of the brain they're different processes and surely that means there must be some sort of new knowledge that will come out of expressing these things in a different way um you know that for me that makes sense you know if i'm writing i'm using a different part of the brain i'm going to get more in uh, different insights doing that than i am just speaking or recording or editing you know it's uh, i think it's i think this is not just i'm not just talking about audio here i think we have to think going forward if we want to do research let's make it possible to do research publish publish theses theses which are not just uh you know a bound 
work of text. Why can't you submit a thesis, which is a podcast series? Mm. You know, um, there's no reason why that shouldn't be the case. No, absolutely. And I think it it, it is an age old question about the, the 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 difference between theory and practice as you know elemental to how we understand knowledge. And I I still think really it's very difficult to negotiate between those two positions because I think you're right there is a sort of sense in which knowledge is held somewhere um, and it's the it's the written text that gives you access to that because you're commenting on something that's that, that, that that's sort of objectively there but it really isn't it's there's an interrelationship that's going on it's just the fact that written text is and the methodologies that go into creating knowledge in in higher education in the acad- in the academe. Is, is something that's just accepted. And then you come along with podcasting or some other non-traditional form. And I think it's very difficult to to um, place that into the into the boundaries of what is accepted. I mean, especially when it comes to, I mean, just if you just read the, the definition of what re- research is in the ref, I think it is quite exclusory when it comes to practice-based research. Yeah, no, I think one of the, this, this is the conversation that's cropped up in a few of the, uh, you know, dialogues that I've had over the series is is this idea with, you know, the, of being able to conduct research in a way which is new. So mm. obviously, writing is the is goes back to, you know, the prehistory. So it, you know, this is why it's accepted as the way that you submit knowledge. But we have new media now, so let's embrace those new media and you and allow them to be ways to yeah. create new knowledge because they are. Yeah. you know already but it's like the, the the expression of the the research question and then the methodology and then the context yeah. and all of those things don't really work <laughs> with uh, other types of uh, other types of of media or communication um so I, I mean one of the interesting things just listening to the first episode was that this i mean you use the word confessional but yeah again and sort of methodologically you might call it an auto ethnography and this this is going to be a really interesting series for for people who are Doing a PhD, I mean, did, did you did you kind of have that an intention as an intention, or did that just sort of come out in in terms of the way that that you were you were speaking, almost that sort of self commentary and self criticism, or or um, a summary of the process that you were going through? It, it wasn't intentional, but I did have in the back of my mind thinking, you know, what you know, my own experience basically, which was even as somebody who's done a master's, who's submitted a PhD application, got through a PhD interview process, spent several months on a PhD. I'm still, you know, even six, nine months into the PhD, I'm still in the back of my head thinking, what's a PhD? Mm. You know, and I think that must be a almost universal experience yeah. of people. It's And it's related to imposter syndrome, I guess, but it's also a case of this, you know, kind of getting your head around what this thing is. So I was hoping that in, basically in describing it, into a podcast that for my own personal you know uh, peace of mind it makes it more concrete in my head what i'm doing and hopefully that relates to somebody else who might who might listen yeah no and no, i think it de- it definitely will and and we'll, tr- we'll when we advertise the show we'll definitely sort of um write or, or comment on that that element of it so i mean you mentioned it a little bit earlier on in terms of y- your initial um research focus was local radio and access uh, for perhaps non-traditional users, I think. Um, I mean, I'm not going. We, we don't need to go into too much detail because you do in the first episode coming up. Um, mm. 
But I just wondered where you sit on this question of the relationship between podcasting and radio. I mean, you know, there is the, there is, I mean, I don't want to say there's a sort of tension or argument about it, but it does, it's an interesting one in terms of radio practitioners, traditional radio practitioners, a lot of them see podcasting just as a subset of radio. But, you know, podcast studies people would contend that there are like fundamental differences. And like someone like myself has come to podcasting not through radio at all. So it's an it's an interesting sort of uh, question, I think. I think, uh, you know, I've maybe I've had a shift in my own head where I would have, in, before I'd um, done too much podcasting myself, I would have said, well, it's basically radio, isn't it? But actually, I think there are, you know, substantial differences, not only in the way that it's broadcast, but also in the format. So, yeah. you know, in terms of, Obviously, there are technical reasons why a podcast is a podcast. I, there's an RSS feed. It's downloaded to a single device, you know, um, and it's, you know, you don't have to follow things like format. You can have a one episode, 20 minutes one week and then an hour and a half the next week. And that's not a problem. And you don't have to put adverts and news and weather in and stuff like that. But I think what actually what makes it separate in another way is the audience, the listening, um, the way that it's listened to. Mm. So, for example, people are listening. It's like a one-on-one experience as a one to, you know, hundreds experience yeah. in terms of podcasting. That's well, that's the way at least I think of it. Mm. And you know, and I think that leads to a more confessional type uh, way that it's performed, if you like. And also, I think that one of the big differences is with podcasting and and, and community radio, especially community radio, is the link to an audience and to a community. So for with a podcast, it can be very difficult to get anybody to listen at all. There's like millions of them now. Yeah. With a, with a radio show, you've immediately got an audience. Even on a community radio station, you're talking thousands of people. Yeah. Probably in a very close geographical proximity listening to you. And that gives you a connection to people straight away and to people that are not necessarily following that same sort of uh, niche, niche subject. They might just catch your show because they want to listen to the one that's on after it. Whereas with a podcast, generally speaking, people are going searching for a term oh i like that subject i'll listen to the football podcast or whatever yeah, yeah. it is so that there are clear differences both in the way that the the uh the content is sought out listened to the structure of the actual content everything pretty much the only thing it shares in common is the way it's audio mm. it can be recorded in the same way there are podcasts that work on radio and there are radio shows that work as a podcast but they, they are related disciplines i would say but they are definitely de- clearly defined yeah. i think yeah it's as much the di- the distribution infrastructure and all the parameters of that, that that cause the difference isn't it so there's the audience end as you say but then even in the production end if it's a live radio show you know if we're just talking about talk um that that live immediacy is very different to um a show like like today we're recording and then it will be played later and people will have to choose to 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 play it or or not and i think also you know there's 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 the the structural element is quite a big one in terms of I and mean, i know even with community radio there's they're they're designed for access um mm. you know to let people who wouldn't ordinarily get on the bbc have a, a place to to use radio but but podcasting you know really sort of takes that stage further in terms of you know anyone yeah. really if they've got a computer or even a phone now can create a podcast which you know as you know um maybe is not the, the one of the one of the problems with podcasting as well as its its main selling point i suppose um yeah 
when you were doing the when you were doing this series, did you find? I mean, you said a little bit about how you sort of changed and, and developed over time in terms of what the project was. But then, when you were interviewing, did you have a sense of yourself as an interviewer and your voice? And did that change? Did you have any pressure on yourself to be kind of, kind of I don't know, you know, entertaining or sound a certain way? I, I, to be honest, I haven't worried about being entertaining because uh, <laughs> it's just it's such a niche niche subject. And I, I think what happens is because because I'm a, a researcher and I'm talking to other well, no, not, not all researchers, but they're all practitioners, and they're all, you know, if I if I if we were to talk now about you know how you record your podcast, you know, what sort of uh, digital recorder you use, you know, using clean feed, we could talk about that. I'm sure we could have a conversation about that, and that's what happens with the with the people that I'm talking to, they, they want to talk about this stuff because it's like, who else do you talk to? And then when you start to ask more kind of uh, academic questions, if you like, I think something comes from it. And it, it, what happens is I'm interested in it. And so that kind mm. of comes across. I'm not a journalist who's having to talk to somebody because someone's paying me to and I have to get something entertaining out of them. I'm just someone who's interesting, interested in podcasting as a form, in broadcasting, you know, in all of these, in all digital audio and peer-to-peer uh, -peer audio and all these things. So when I talk to people about it, it's not a forced question that I've yeah. written because I think they might have an interesting answer. It's an actual proper interest in what they've got to say about it. Yeah, and, and I think what's interesting about the series is that I think that some of the podcasters that you interview are just uh, kind of interested in their own subject and they use a podcast to talk about that rather than being sort of, more broadly interested in podcasting as a, a sort of subject of media analysis like like we are so that's that's interesting when when you know you can often go in with preconceived notions of what pe how people use podcasting in their fields or in their lives and that can be very different from from people like us who are who are sort of studying it yeah but i think people are very willing to speak about that when yeah. you ask them the question so you know, if, like you said, the first episode I, they, is Helen Morey's Client Culture, which is an arts magazine in Plymouth. And she's not an academic, but she, you know, if I ask her a question about how she makes it or the relation between the text of a magazine and the what goes into the podcast, you know, it might be that she's not thought about these things in a kind of clear cut or research or academic style way. Mm. But I think, you know, they have occurred to her in her brain and, and they, they do, she does talk about it and... This is, you know, people are, generally speaking, I hope I've picked people who are, are able to talk about this stuff in a way that makes sense and has insight and kind of um, enables me to move on with my own work. Mm. Yeah. And do you do you think that um, since the arrival of this, you know, crisis, this pandemic that's going on right now, has that sort of factored into both your your research and in terms of what you think podcasting can do. I mean, it's an interesting one that, you know, lots of questions have come up about, you know, now podcast listening, people have commented or, or reported that the listening figures have gone down because people are not traveling as much and that's when most people listen. But desktop listening and home listening on on, uh, on tablets and desktops has, has gone up as mm. opposed to mobile. So it's, it's an interesting one. And I know there was a sort of, there was a sort of Twitter storm, if you like, that, that, Somebody commented on on the fact that now there was going to be like thousands of podcasts that were going to crop up that were going to be commenting on the, on COVID, and that's not what everybody needs because there's so many out there anyway. But I mean, it's you know there's interesting discourses around where podcasting is going and this sort of 
crisis through a through a bit of a, a spanner in the works of that. What did you make of all of this? I think yeah, it is an interesting thing that there have been. I've, at least I've noticed there's been a lot more people making podcasts, mm. and I think possibly because they're you know stuck at home and they think, well, I've always wanted to do one, so here we go. Yeah, and you know, celebrities and you know your ordinary person and I th- you know and maybe the listening figures might be down a bit but I think it's more complicated than that because as you say maybe they're just listening on a different device or maybe you know they listen to something on the commute to work just as a way to kind of shut out the tube or whatever it, it, they're traveling on and and they're not commuting anymore but as soon as they go back to commuting they'll plug in again you know I, I and I and you know radio is even um you know compared to television people tune into radio as the kind of safe source of knowledge when there's a crisis. So you've got to factor that in as well. Mm. So maybe people are tuning into the BBC to get their, their news because that's the, the one thing they rely on, you know, in a crisis that well, it's debatable whether it is now, but, you know, as the source of uh, truth and honesty. Um, so I think in terms of pod- I don't I'm not particularly worried about podcasting, you know, suffering. I think what's happening is that what's interesting is the new ways that the things are being created. And this is, you know, my PhD research, a big part of it is about using WebRTC, this new technology that we're using now to talk, you yeah. know, from to, you know, places hundreds, hundreds of miles away. And so the, what the, the lockdown and the coronavirus uh, situation has done is actually made my research even more kind of uh, relevant than it was before. And I'm, I'm switching from creating content with people, you know, in a physical studio where we meet to recording over clean feed or some other application that uses uh, peer-to-peer audio and things haven't stopped they're just switched and it's amazing how people are still want this stuff to continue they're they're not thinking oh well let's just stop while this is going on and then we'll come back to the studio they're not particularly attached to the studio you know they actually this is as a way of doing things this is you know fine for people they they it might be that they'd like a bit more studio and a bit more face-to-face contact but actually I'm still creating radio shows and podcasts using uh, remote um, software and it's not really impacted the content too much. Okay, you might get the odd sort of glitch when the internet drops out um, and we're not, I'm not sat in a studio so it might be a bit more echoey than in a nice acoustic, acoustically treated studio. But I think the, 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 the desire to create podcasts is still there. The, what people are talking about might change a little bit. As you, I don't think there have been too many COVID podcasts. I haven't really seen... Yeah, I've, seen, I've, Many I've, I've definitely heard of one or two, but I've, I have enough of COVID, so I'm not going to listen to a podcast on it. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, but I think people are um, exploring it as a way to express themselves, mm. and I think perhaps when things return gradually to normal, you'll find maybe even that it, it, the kind of there's a, a stronger base of people creating podcasts. You know, and to, realistically, when you know people's people who create podcasts have a listenership of you know, a hundred if they're lucky. So, you know, we're not we're not talking about people doing this to make huge amounts of money anymore. I think that that kind of way of doing it is or that kind of idea that you could do that belongs to five, ten years ago. You mm-hmm. know, people who make money on it now are the Premiership footballers who their agent says, "I'll oh, do a podcast. You'll get twenty thousand subscribers like that." You know, yeah. or the person off the telly or whoever, and the people who are just making niche podcasts because they love the subject are getting 100 200 people if they're lucky and you know maybe making a bit of beer money on the side <laughs> yeah yeah no i think this is this is 
very true and I'm, I'm writing a blog at the moment a little bit about that and and how the uh the, the current circumstances almost crystallized that that almost two-tier two-tier system that we're if we're not there already we're definitely sort of entering into and and you know the the era of podcasts that started from nothing and and went you know went viral you know from yeah. from an independent base that that era i mean it's the, the much more few and far between that hap- you know that happening if if a, a, a podcast has to have a, a particular kind of hook whether it's a star or a, or a, a concept that will take off pretty quickly in order to gain a huge following as you say i mean it's interesting that you say that we're, with this software we're using uh, the web, web rtc the um I, I was i'm writing a piece that's sort of thinking about how a lot of the shows that I've been listening to, conversation-based, interview-based podcasts, they seem to be not using that technology and, you know, either recording over Zoom or Skype and then having to apologize for their their sound quality. And I think it's it's interesting to me. I mean, do you, as somebody who uses this technology and is sort of writing about it, it, have you found that it's not really known or been taken up as much as perhaps you thought it might be? Definitely. And I think you'll find even on the sort of radio forums where supposedly people who are geeky about technology will be asking, you know, suddenly they're asking, how do I record a remote conversation, uh, you know, with without using ISDN, which is like an old technology yeah, now yeah. and costs a fortune. And there are, not, I'm, I don't want to be cl- plugging CleanFeed, but there's CleanFeed, there's Zencaster, Swagcast, um, yeah. IPDTL. So there's a few of these commercially available now, and I'm actually developing a, an open source version of one of these bits of software, which will allow people like community radio broadcasters and podcast practitioners to build their own uh, bespoke sort of WebRTC setups. Right. Um, so it's, but it actually WebRTC is very easy technology to implement, hence why, and you know, the quality is great, which is sound almost like we're in a studio, mm. but hundred miles apart but as you say i've also heard lots of zoom recordings and uh, jitsi recordings and microsoft teams recordings and the audio quality is not particularly good on those bits of software because that's not what they're designed for they and they whenever you have video uh, that's going to prioritize the bandwidth yeah. so the audio is always going to suffer yeah. and with these bits of software they don't have a video uh, link up or if they do, they prioritize the audio. So the audio is it, uh, uses this new codec called Opus, which is a bit like MP3, but it has can compress uh, to a smaller size with better quality. So you can send it, send it over the internet with less likelihood of the bandwidth uh, collapsing and kind of causing breakup and stuff. Which is why these bits, the WebRTC, is able to uh, do better quality audio over the internet. Fantastic. So uh, that's uh, that's really great uh, information that and uh, a great intro to this series that's coming up. What just before we go and we get into the first episode, um, what are you listening to at the at the moment, Jerry? I always try and ask guests that come on if there's any recommendations that that, that they could uh, give our audience. Well, I have to. Rec- I've already mentioned it before, but I have to recommend "On the Hill" by. Uh, I always struggle with her name. I do apologize. I'm sure I mispronounce it every time. Uh, Sherizade Garcia Rangel, who's at Falmouth University. And right. if, if you're not aware of it, it's um, basically she's uh, well, it's a, a cemetery in Falmouth, but I, I, she has plans to go to different cemeteries. But she goes around the cemetery and finds the gravestones that interest her. And then she researches the name on the gravestone and finds out the story of how that person 
lived, you know, how they ended up in the grace, uh, graveyard in, in Falmouth. And then she creates a, the, the kind of story around that and then actors um, record um, performances about the parts and she and she so she creates a real story as well as a research and then there's also interviews in there with her about how she researched the story in the first place and uh so if you haven't checked that out i would re- highly recommend on the hill podcast um uh, just search for on the hill and you'll find it brilliant that sounds great i'll definitely uh, check that out because it sounds really interesting um so jerry thanks so much for talking to me today and introducing the series and for producing the series for us thanks very much dario 